Good morning, Al. How are you doing? Morning, Ben. I'm great, thank you. Um, you always are. You're always bright and breezy. It's always nice to Of course, to hear. of course. <laughs> and today uh, we have a special guest with us, um, which we'll hear um, more about in a minute, um, but that's Nick from Astute Graphics. Bonjour. Bonjour. Ooh, very, very relevant to some of our topics in today's talk. So um, what have you guys been up to? Go on, I'll, I'll go first. Go on, oh, go oh, on. Thank you, Light. Thank you, Nick. Um, well, I've been working on um, well, various websites. Uh, so I've been working particularly on getting a site live, which I got... Um, which went live uh, late yesterday evening. I noticed. Um, yes, it's been a couple of well, a couple of months probably in the making. Yeah, and um, I think it's always good to sort of launch late in the evening because it has then time for the internet to kind of propagate all the changes to the um, domain name, so that people aren't at work kind of constantly checking their site, you know, because it will be down for a little while. So um, it's a, it's a good time to do it. So overnight, uh, all the changes take place over the internet, and then in the morning. Um, it's all done, and it, all the changes have been made. So uh, that's why that's a, a pr an approach I've <laughs> I've adopted. It works well. Less <laughs> less chance for customers to um, look at the site and go, um, it's not working. Yes, and of course I I kind of know it won't. It's it'll always be a little bit of sort of interim not working phase when you do something like that. So yes, you know you know what actually though, Al, they go pretty smoothly because um, when you do them, they'll, they'll swap over very very quickly. So I've mm -hmm. I've never really noticed much downtime on them. Mm. It's because I'm continuously there pressing refresh, I suppose. <laughs> Just checking Make it work, okay. please. <laughs> how about you, Nick? What have you been up to? Oh, I've been thinking for the last week on how to outword Al, but he used the word propagate, and I don't know if I've got a bigger <laughs> word than that. <laughs> so uh, last week, well, it was uh, we had a pitch fest. I know we might mention later. It went yes, to I'm going to come back to that. So that has been like three, four, five months of my life. Really? Into one day, yeah. So so there's that. And uh, other things, oh, then a lovely surprise on Friday, which again might be quite topical. Something called Brexit. Sounds uh, like Weetabix, but not quite the same. And then, um, yeah, uh, really coping with all that. And then the company just generally, we've sort of got two new hands on the deck here in the office and so bringing them up to speed. Wonderful new people and a wonderful little team. So there we go. Yeah, I'd like to hear more about that because you're 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 personally very busy, but the company's doing doing very well and uh, doing lots of cool stuff. So yeah, please, I want to dive into some of that. Um, I I've been watching a lot of TED talks. I've been taking to having lunch in front of a few TED talks on the TV, which has been quite cool because um, it's the only time I can find where I can slice that out of my day to learn something, apart from the numerous amount of podcasts I listen to as Nick will attest. Um, but one of them st uh, stood out to me, which was pretty good, actually. It's a very short talk um, by quite an enthusiastic woman. Uh, she is called Sally Cohn. I think I've spelled that right. Um, at Sally Cohn on Twitter. Um, and it was called Don't Like Clickbait. Uh, don't click it or something like that. You can find it quite easily online. And what was quite nice about it is uh, there is a lot of, um, dare I say, rubbish, uh, maybe even crap online. Um, uh, articles and links that that really don't add any value to the web and i think as web developers we're often complaining about it or noticing it and certainly not wanting our work to be tied up within that um but what she was talking about is that actually the um the strength we have as consumers is that the reason this stuff is produced is because we click on it we read it we spend time on it we give it page views which gives them ad revenue so therefore they they generate more content that's like it so they can generate more ads and actually <laughs> if we don't like it we mm. shouldn't read it <laughs> so but they, they're very good psychologically aren't they with the short titles you know it's oh, just those yeah. th this guy did this and this what happened you, you, oh, oh, i kind of want to know 
but I don't either. And, then you, and you'll keep seeing it over weeks and weeks. You're like, do I really want to know what happened? No, I'm not. I'm not going to find out. And it plays on your mind like a kind of soap opera. You, you know, you just never, never watch the end of. Yeah, the one it's I always a fake image. It's always a fake image. You want to get to that fake image first. What is that fake? You know, what? Why is that tank upside down? But yeah, that I want never appears in the actual article. No, or it never does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always the one that sticks out to me is um, like doctors hate this guy or fit fitness experts hate this woman because she's got ten, 10 secret ways to you know lose weight yeah, or something. It like that. makes, makes med- the medical profession seem really kind of vengeful and, uh, and, and you know, it's not really nice. It's not nice. It's not nice. Well, um... well, there's actually there's one that stuck out to me which was a, a banana. It was a picture of a banana that was brown, overly brown. You know when they go um, not off but sugary, they go really sweet and they're just about to go off. And it had a like a really bad sketch of that banana, and it was like um, top oh, I, worst I know it, yeah. things to eat or something like that. Yeah. And it, oh. that banana, I clicked on it once, and I, I'm sorry, <laughs> Sally, I did. And it um, it never featured that banana in any of the ten slides it had on there. It, that really really annoyed me. It's an incredible insight into online psychology. I think yeah, they must have some incredible stats over just slightly different titles. Um, and you know pictures and things and what works mm. you know and if you could deploy those things in kind of in, in in more productive ways let's say like maybe online selling or something like that that could be quite interesting yeah i heard that netflix um i i i've not read the article but i heard someone said that netflix the way they do um there's these images that show up as you're browsing netflix so when you when you hover over not, um, a little um i don't know what you call them panel program panel or film panel mm. which has some of the information um, when you hover over that, the top half of Netflix, certainly on Apple TV, will start then uh, a slideshow of images from that um, TV program or, or film. Now, mm. I'm not sure if they have pick, uh, I, I think they insert a load of images that some, someone in marketing has picked for that TV show or been provided, but it will then use an algorithm to detect which is the most successful image to get people to watch it. Keep and then it'll start showing that more and it will reshuffle them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, but all yeah. this, nothing, none of this is new. I don't know what this Netflix no. is of which you speak, but anything like YouTube, I mean, let's face it, they're all full of bunnies and kittens. And, you, you know, what is the most popular video on YouTube? It is the most uh, intrinsically useless to human uh, or mankind, so to speak. And it's, it's basically the most popular. People click on it because it's got a cute picture on it. And yeah. that is human psychology. And it's just an extension of all that. And we will continue to do that. It'll be clickbait today. Tomorrow, it'll be something else. And it's always the same. We just are curious about the, the well, inept stuff. That's what we're curious about, I suppose. So you don't, mm. you don't think it's going to change? You don't think it will um, we'll, we'll reach uh, peak fitness advert or peak, peak uh, kitten video? Um, <laughs> and we'll, it'll just get worse. There is no such thing because the thing is, people are always being born, and so you're always going to have young kids ready to click on something they've never yeah. seen before. Mm. You know, I, I caught my kids. Um, we don't give them free access to YouTube, but with the, with the, the way adverts pop up after things, you know, they're watching. Um, what's the guy? Dan TDM on Minecraft, um, and then suddenly this. Uh, it was a re- It was basically they were watching a video of a guy um, playing with little toys you might get out of a Kinder Surprise. And it was, it was really, it was really strange. He would, he would have a kinder, what looked like a kinder surprise, but I think he'd made it himself. And then he'd open it gently, really gently peeling it back and then take out the toy and look at it and hold it, hold it around and just make little weird noises. It was really, <laughs> really weird. I'll try and find it to put in the show notes. Um, mm. Cause I think there were lots of them because certainly they, they're, 
I was watching. They're quite mesmerizing, so I can understand why they watched it. Mm. But um, no, no value I in can't. it. No value Sorry. whatsoever. There's or was there somebody in the background with a piccolo as well? <laughs> um, no, not on this occasion. But actually, you know, yeah. that would that would have given it a bit more value than than it had. It was like the Piper. It just strikes me that that's all. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty um, bad. But I, if you haven't watched it, I'd definitely um, have a look at that TED Talk. And there's another one I'll throw in as well, which, uh, oh God, I can't remember the guy's name, but um, he, he was actually talking about um, how news has changed from mass media to, to basically us creating the news, um, which, you know, I think that's been, that's been known for, for a, a, yeah. a well, while, but that's the way things are. Certainly this week, um, you know, social media, you know, lots of news and, and mis, you know, misinformation as well as useful yeah. information surrounding, you know, the whole EU thing. Um, so yeah, you're you're right about the sort of making the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so it, how... is, it isn't mass media; it is hysteria now. That's all we got. <laughs> yes. that, that's interesting. Yeah, mass hysteria. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Same um, thing. But how do we how do we get through that? I mean, how do we how do we filter through a lot of the crap that's that's coming and a lot of the the um... turn off your computer. Turn off your TV, turn off your computer, and go and live in a cave. And to be honest, it's sounding very appealing at the moment in the last few weeks. And uh, it's the only way. I mean, let's face it, we want to be fed this information, otherwise, it wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. People wouldn't click on it, people wouldn't read it, Twitter feeds, etc., etc. I don't care what David Beckham thinks about the EU. Since when has he been, you know, a sort of uh, financial expert or politician? I don't give a monkeys, but yet, you know, somehow when David Beckham says something, we all go, ooh, David Beckham said that. It's, all, it's our own fault. We're our own worst enemies. There you mm. go. That's mankind for you. Do you think, yeah. I, I agree, do you think it's because it's it's um, just very easy to consume and, you know, you don't need to think too much? It's it's And so that's why we like it, because it's easy. A lot of this information is easy. Whether it's right or wrong doesn't really matter. It's just yeah. easy to occupy ourselves by watching or reading something. Yeah, but also you got. I suppose the benefit from it is that we're not going to mull over this whole EU thing for the next twenty years because none of us have got that attention span anymore. It's sort of three <laughs> yeah. days later. Ooh, some nice panda bears have been born in China, which I did see the other day, which sounds lovely. So I showed my little oh. son. Uh, lovely, and suddenly the whole EU is forgotten, and that's a lovely thing about how humans are now evolving. We've got a got attention span of you know three days, which is a great benefit. So when you've got a huge financial disaster, ah, it doesn't matter. A few days later, look, panda bears, look, nice panda bears. We'll go and buy something for panda bears now. But isn't, then, that, isn't that a shame for sort of long-term developments and projects and thinking where you do need sustained interest in something over a period of time or doesn't that matter so much for everyone? Yeah, I mean, long-term projects, let's face it, are rare <laughs> nowadays and probably have been canned as well because we've got no money for them anymore. Mm. But, um, and people don't care about it because like a few days later, people forgot about the long-term project. I mean, let's face it, Isambard Kingdom Brunel wouldn't have bothered with half the projects he'd done in these day and age. Why bother? You know, why yeah, have a train? I, won- I wonder what his uh, his intellect would be doing with uh, modern technology, what, what he would have actually developed. Oh, you just said, oh, stay in your horse, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I, I must admit He's that I didn't... log into LinkedIn or something, you know, unable to you know, achieve his password or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or just being constantly spammed that he can't be bothered. Just go <laughs> constantly clicking on clickbait. Oh, yeah. what's this? <laughs> Going back to the news thing, I must admit I don't I don't really follow the news on a day to day basis. I used to um, I used to watch uh, breakfast news. In fact, that, that was probably the only most interesting thing on when I was younger um, of the five TV channels that we had, um, or four at the time. Um, but uh, now I don't really. I think Radio Four was the last um, bre- news program that I used to listen to. And actually, the name Brexit I did not hear. Um, until we had a dinner party come around and uh, one of the guests is talking about Brexit and I'm like, 
Excuse, what, what's Brexit? I mean, I can want. I knew instantly once I knew what they're talking about. I could guess what it is, but I had not heard of that term. And so I must admit that I'm I'm very much of that. Actually, to get away from a lot of this rubbish that's out there is I'll just turn it all off and and I'll wait for it to be fed and filtered through other people that I know and trust. Was it a strange morning dinner party? Because it sounds like a high fiber breakfast food. It does. So you know, mm, does. you could have had some breakfast with some milk. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a cross between Belvita and Weetabix. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> not I'm not sure how nice that would be. Weirdly, I found it more. Um, I've been more sort of engaged with news sites since mm-hmm. since Friday, um, and yeah, more, reading more on Facebook more regularly, which right. isn't necessarily a good thing. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I found you know I'm just thinking what's happened in the last ten minutes, and you get that you know, and, and actually lots of things were happening within ten minute slots, yeah. and so and again, it's the power of the internet, I suppose, that you can find out about that just so quickly. You don't have to wait for the six o'clock news like you used to. You know, you find out about it instantly. But but surrounding that is, is lots of you know hypothetical you know consequences and and, and everyone's you know trying to be you know um, discuss and, and guess what's going to happen next. So there's a lot of conjecture and a lot of misinformation and guesswork to fill the you know the airwaves so to speak you know on the television and on things like Facebook and other social media. So it's a pity because there are huge events going on. Let's, let's face it, there are huge events, and I, I have to say I'm the same as yourself, actually. And that, but I avoided the internet. I, I went and bought a newspaper for a very, very rare occasion, mm. and um, watched um, well Channel Four news. I tend to find that uh, mm. John Snow is, is the better one. BBC if I wanted some bias coverage, and then yeah, you know, just went literally along the whole thing. And, you know, try to get the average because they all say different things. What's the average in the middle comment of all this stuff? And it's all guesswork. I and mean, massive, mm. massive undertakings that are, are taking place now. But the thing is, it's, it's too much for us now. It's, it's all because we can consume everything because we do get this information and we do get it like every five seconds a tweet will come yeah. through to give us the latest anything. We didn't used to be that way. It used to be like, what happened today? Oh, right, we'll get the newspaper. All right, that's happened. Great. We have gone into the EU 70 years ago, whatever. Okay, great. <laughs> Next day, what's happened? Okay, in the last 24 hours, this has happened. You can consume that. But now it's mm. sort of every five minutes, you've got to consume mm exactly what's happening then they've got to rehash it for the next two hours until the next major thing happens mm, yeah and then quick opinions from people who haven't got a bleeding clue i'm afraid Sorry yeah i mean that's the thing i mean i i think having an opinion is good i do think that and i i've often not had opinion in the past but i'm trying more so now and actually this this is uh, this podcast is an effort to do that is actually to have an opinion and i think the only way of having an opinion is by talking about what you think uh, and that help and talking to different people and that helps form an opinion but yet you often d- do find these um people on radio or, or even podcasts a lot of podcasts i listen to they have to have an opinion so they will have one whether it's right mm. or wrong they will just voice yeah. something well um, that's an important point i think it, it, having an opinion is really important but also acknowledging that you're probably going to be 50% right, 50% wrong is also equally important. And it is still an opinion. Until somebody has some facts in front of you that prove 100%, you know, scientists have proved and genuine scientists have genuinely proved X, Y, Z, mm-hmm. etc. That is then a fact. But until mm. that point, it's all an opinion. And if somebody has a different opinion, you can say, hey, you're wrong. But equally, they can say it back to you. And you probably, 50-50, you'd probably be right in the middle somewhere. There's yeah. a correct truth. Mm. Well, it's, I think it's an informed opinion. So it's trying not just to say, well, this is what I think, and that's I'm sticking to it. But it's saying, well, this is what I think now, based on the information I know. But I'm the more I know and the more I read or consume, the more I'm happy to change that opinion to, to evolve it. But on Facebook, it's almost, um, I found, because you find other people with your opinion, it actually doesn't necessarily broaden your ideas. You, it almost mm-hmm. gives your, you just, it affirms what you already think. 
and you, you seek out things that affirm what you already think, safety in numbers, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. there's a lot of stuff from both sides, you know, you see on Facebook, but you then you just tend to uh, you not really give the other stuff that doesn't agree with you. You don't really tend to get that much credence. And then you, you, it'll actually just all I think it does is just affirm what you already know or think you know. And the, but there are some things that do just slightly open up a different uh, ideas. There's a lot of lot of other stuff out there which which is uh, yeah particularly useful. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a very it, interesting point. I never heard that because obviously you you like and you follow people who have typically your own opinion or you you understand them whatever, mm. and then that closes your sort of uh, you know circle of understanding to what you've got it's a bit like music I've, I've only just recently discovered spotify i'm sorry i'm like 20 years later. <laughs> and spotify is good but i'm starting to find out it's obviously got an algorithm to find out what mm. music is like and it's giving me more of the music i already like but what i wanted to go on spotify it's got a t in it spotify sorry is to actually find out music i'd never discovered before but it's actually starting to narrow it down. It is. I'm discovering music I've never heard before, but in a field that I'm already used to, I'm mm-hmm. happy with. But it isn't sort of pushing my bounds of what I'm listening to. So yeah, it you is, want it to throw in something yes, else, yeah. odd, uh, an oddball every now and then. Piccolo's. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Pic- Piccolo music. Piccolo, yeah. <laughs> I, just uh, on that note, I, I don't know if you remember, Al, I don't know if you were with us at the time. This was back in um, uh, when we had an office and we weren't working remotely. We, this then. is when Spotify was out and it was completely free. Mm. We they they have a filter in there where you can choose music from various different periods of time. So what we decided to do is we would start playing music uh, or put the radio on and start from the very first period of time they had, which um, that must have been <laughs> like the Baroque sort of. Uh, yeah, what would it be? Thirties. Um, oh, okay. I think oh, yeah. it was thirties oh, yeah. was the earliest period. So we're basically trying to go from the very earliest they had, and then so every week. <laughs> Or um, we would then change the period to the next, the next one up, and that is actually a, a really. I mean, there's a lot of stuff most people didn't like going through, but it's a really good way of experiencing lots of different music. It's just by mm. saying, "Well, I'm going to start at the beginning and I'm going to work through and just see what comes up, like what I do like, and, and see what happens." Mm. What happened when you got to 1998 when music officially died? What yeah. happened then? Did you just literally have a void after it was just noise and static after that? Did did music die, um, Nick? Yeah, or is that something to do with age? Finish. No, that is actually a proven fact. That is an opinion. That is... Ah, is this something you read on Facebook? <laughs> uh, yes, it is actually. In Stranger Things, one of those clickbait things on the bottom. Before before we dive too much down this rabbit hole, although actually I think it it, it might be worth diving into another time. Actually, opinions and because it's very relevant to marketing uh, and social media and how all that works together. But I, I don't want to get too caught up in it right now. Um, can I just have a quick break for a sponsor? Now, over the past two um, podcasts, we've um, um, had a sponsor, uh, TikTok, which is an application that we've, we've created. But I'm switching it up a little bit, and uh, the sponsor is going to be Be Sociable, which is um, an easy-to-follow social media tips and strategy book that I wrote with uh, Helen Caldercutt, who is a social media trainer over in Worcester. Um, and it's basically, we, we wrote this because, to be honest, there are thousands of websites, videos, books um, with tips, how-tos, discussion an argument about social media. Um, but few are very concise and easy to read. And so, um, and actually some are pretty, pretty darn right awful. And we wanted to pull together both our knowledge and tips from around the, the web into, into a very simple, easy to um, read book with lots of nice images um, and some concise tips, something you can actually burn through pretty quickly and get a lot from without having to uh, wade through a 400 page book to, to, to sort of get out the gems of it. It's uh, available on iPad originally, but now iPhone and Mac. 
Um, it is uh, Mac only at the moment, but we're looking um, perhaps to make a PDF or sell it on uh, Amazon. It's only four ninety nine, and you can get it on the iBook store. And in fact, if you, you search through any of the bookstores on the Mac or our iPad, or you can just search for Be Sociable Ben on Google and it'll come up. Just give you a few examples of the tips. Um, some are getting a recognizable profile name, uh, talking to Twitter as a person, or stalking your customers on LinkedIn. And I like that one. Um, there's over 50 tips on there, lots uh, to keep you going. Just visit our website, uh, click on the social book link in the menu, search for it on Google, social, uh, be sociable, Ben, or just go to your um, Apple bookstore and it's in there. It's only $4.99. I think you should go and get a copy of it. That's all I've got to say on that. It's, it's a good you book. You said $4.99 twice. Will you please say pounds sterling for that? Go oh, on, just for sorry, today. yes. This is a, it uh, could be an international on the podcast. Ah, oh, exactly, sir. And if you want a conversion, that's about 37 cents in dollars to terms and about uh, 500 euros, I think, at current conversion <laughs> okay. rates. Okay. Well, if there's anyone in the UK who wants it, it's only £4.99, just under a fiver. Um, so it's a good deal. And it's uh, just a little note on it. That took us two years to write. I mean, not two solid years. We, we were doing some work in between. <laughs> But it took two years and it just, um, it's one of the things I want to do for ages is uh, write, write a book, write something out there online. Um, just, just because we, we speak to a lot of other customers who, who actually a book or some sort of uh, online media like that would be appropriate. But really you can't give them advice if you haven't done it yourself, I think. so. Um, and, uh, and as I'm a guest, I can say this, uh, I haven't been paid for this, but let's face it, Ben and let's face it, Helen Caldicott, are the two nicest people you could have ever met. And oh, they have okay. written a lovely book. I've never read it. They've written a lovely book. Genuinely, yeah, they know their stuff. And you've actually got a free stuff. copy as well. So I, that's, that's I've never read it, so I never <laughs> read things. I, that's me generally. Don't take it personally. Um, but, uh, you know, they know everything about everything social media. And I was just a wizard. There we go. I've done all the bigging up. Oh, thank they, you. You can't do better than a testimonial like that. <laughs> thank you, Nick. Well, um, after all of that, um, uh, perhaps over to you, Nick. Let's introduce you a little bit more. Um, so uh, you run a company called Astute Graphics. Um, I, I sort of knew you when you were just starting up and, and look at you now, you're an uh, international uh, plug-in, um, graphics plug-in superstar, um, doing lots of cool stuff online. Tell us a little bit about the company and then go straight into PitchFest, which, um, which is an interesting, I don't know a lot about it, so I want to hear lots from you about um, why you did that and, and where you are now, because that's all finished, isn't it? Okay. Well, yeah, we did. We did uh, meet each other. I think when I had still had shorts on, and then we had a little company uh, run from um, yeah, a little brick building. wasn't in Hereford. Lovely little brick building. So mm -hmm. it's basically we do plugins for Adobe Illustrator. It's Adobe Illustrator is the industry standard vector design tool. It's a sister product for Photoshop, and is used by ten million plus people out there. Really? Illustrator. Yeah. Wow. Everybody loves it. And um, we it is do good. I do like Illustrator. Really it's a very nice package. It's, it, it is. Um, it's one of those Marmite ones. I love it now because mm. I got used to it. But I remember the first two years I used I hated it. I utterly hated it. I didn't understand it. The learning curve was as steep as any, which is why the plugins exist now. But uh, so if anybody says, yeah, Illustrator tell what yes, I understand your pain. You've got to get through that pain. But if you know Illustrator, you're pretty well guaranteed a job in the design market. Mm. Uh, because not many people bother to learn it inside out is top tip for you if you want a job. Uh, if you know Photoshop, welcome to the mass of people who've all used Photoshop. Use Illustrator seriously. Welcome to the smaller clan. 
and but equally if not much more required in the industry you need logos done properly etc in branding agencies use illustrator learn yeah. it so there's my top and tip just, thank, thanks nick and what's the what's the main difference between photoshop and illustrator i think a lot of people are aware of the name photoshop and what it can do like photoshopping an image but what's yeah. the key difference Okay, uh, I could say that, well, there's a technical thing. Photoshop is all pixel-based. So if you zoom and zoom and zoom and zoom in, you see lots of lovely square pixels. If you zoom into vector, you'll see beautiful, smooth curves, lines, etc. So you could blow your design up to the size of a skyscraper, and it'll look perfect. Um, the biggest difference, I would say, mentally, which is why people sort of shy towards uh, Photoshop more, is the fact when you start at Photoshop, you tend to start with a photo. So you have something in front of you. You start with Illustrator, you're starting typically with a blank page. And that, like any writer will know, is like, ah, right, where, what do I do next? Yeah. So that is the mental difference between the two. You have to really create something in Illustrator. You have to be a designer. And doesn't mean you can't be a proper designer. If you know your pencil and your paper, you'll be a much better illustrator. Keep practicing the pencil and paper because that is essential design skills. That gets transferred, transferred over to digital. There you go. This is my hobby horse. I've got a few of them. Do you want me to get off it now? <laughs> well, no, actually, but actually a lot of your plugins um, help people translate from uh, sketch paper um, and, and sort of translate those into, into nice hand-drawn vectors. But also there's a lot of nice tools that are in Photoshop um, and a lot of your um, plugins help um, bring some of those tools into a vector environment. Um, yep. So actually it, it, it takes Illustrator, which is a good a good package, but hard work to get some some of the really cool effects. Your your plugins sit over the top of that, don't they? And they they help uh, make those effects a lot quicker, simpler, faster. I suppose you, you got three different categories of, of tools. We do fourteen products now, so there's quite a few. But I know, grown a lot. Yeah, oh god, has it? Um, the first lot is the drawing tool, so replacing the pen tool and the pencil tool, so they're much more powerful. So you got those real sort of technical sort of you know for the experienced users. Then you have the FX side of things, which are like what you're saying about bringing in the Photoshop type effects, so like color adjustment, which was our first plugin, um, and Texturina, which is our latest one, so you add textures really quickly and simply into Illustrator. And then you have what I would call the workhorse essential tools, so like things like auto saving, etc. So, so you've got all different categories, and uh, yeah, it, it's one of those things. It's basically if you have all our tools and it, it's it's doubling the size of Illustrator in terms of the tool availability. Mm. It's literally that much now. So, uh, Adobe are really good to us, I must say. They they do sort of support us. They've invited invited us to Adobe Max this year down in San Diego. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Not not only have they invited, they're asking us and getting us to go over there. So you know, that's sort of wow. I think we're probably the first plugin manufacturer to ever be invited by Adobe to go down there in mean, Photoshop. Jeez, that's good. That's are they? Are you so, yeah. doing any talks there? Are you yeah. doing workshops? Yeah, we've got Sebastian, who is, let's face it, the cool face of Astute Graphics, along with Alice, obviously. Uh, and then there's me, just to muck things up and get the timings wrong. That's basically my job. <laughs> Keep everything on the toes. Sorted. Yeah, that's brilliant. So Sebastian does your webinars, doesn't he? He's the, he's the, the front man, so to speak, of, of the webinars. And, he's based uh, in LA, yeah. He, yeah. He's, he's a real cool guy, has got a real cool accent, um, says dude a lot and works for him. I say dude a lot and it doesn't work, he just looks at me. And... He's got great hair too. <sighs> he's got hair. No, forget the great hair, he's got hair. <laughs> I'm just jealous. So yeah, that's Sebastian for you. Thank you, Sebastian, if you're listening to this. Yeah, he's great. And, and Alice is actually doing a lot of uh, videos and tutorials for you as well, isn't he? Yeah, well, we brought Alice in, let me say, one and a half years ago, and she's 
She's our British contingent, and she does these really, really professional, high-end, high-quality tutorials, which are recorded here in the studio, which I'm sitting in. Uh, and she's helped bring our sort of learning process up, and actually, you know, also assisting Sebastian in terms of how he sort of developed his learning. And he does this thing called Never Stop Learning, which is a side topic, which is really interesting that he every week for the last 250 weeks without fail, including Christmas, holidays, etc., on Thursday, he will publish a a post on how to learn something in Photoshop and Illustrator and whatever. And um, he's continued. And so Alice actually helps him to sort of keep on developing because Alison has learned different things and they mix it together. Yeah, really working together. Wonderful team, yeah. Um, so tell us a bit more about Pitchfest. Pitchfest, okay, this is a great camping festival where everybody puts a tent in a field. <laughs> That's what I thought it was. No, it, it's a government initiative. Uh, Pitchfest is government, and it's the second year running in the Midlands. It might have been running longer in the north and in London. And the government in the UK um, basically want to say, right, we want to encourage investors to uh, sort of interact with companies, new growth companies, and we want their new companies coming along with high growth to sort of get investment. And we thought, well, the government thought we'd marry everybody together. So they basically had a great idea, then dumped all this hard work onto the universities, like mm -hmm. Aston University in Birmingham, Birmingham University itself, and Warwick University in this case. They all grouped together. Oh, I think Coventry University is almost, I think, every, include everybody. Everybody's a winner. And they include everybody and you know, encourage everybody to interact. There's workshops on how to pitch a company, a high-growth company, to investors and what they're expecting, which is quite a surprise, actually. And yeah, it's, it's quite a, an initiative and actually not a bad idea, to be honest. Not a bad idea at all. So, yeah, I think you learned a lot from it last, last time we spoke on this. Yeah, um, huge, huge amount about ourselves as much as anything else. And so what, what, are the, what are the things that people might be looking for if you were, um, if you were looking to sell a company to an investor? What, what would they be looking for? Well, the interesting is not really about selling a company to investors, it's about getting investments into a company yeah. that's growing. So mm -hmm. the last thing investors need is the whole company because they haven't got the skills, resources, etc. to run a company. They just want to, basically, an investor wants to stick money into a company. So these are usually high net worth uh, investors or they are investment organizations like angel investors where you can be, you know, collaborate as part of a group with less investment yourself. Mm -hmm. And they want to stick, okay, let's surmise it. They want to stick whole load of cash into your company up to say half a million typically for angel investors and in five to seven years time run off to hawaii or um, panama with about seven to ten times the return on investment nice and it's, it's a win-win for everybody mm. i mean i'm very flippant about it but it's it's a very very neat process and that to be honest you can go to the bank and get a loan yeah, but you've got to get a loan against your house, mm -hmm. and they will charge you interest, etc. And they want to see your business plans, etc., which is all okay. But you go to a bank if you're a brand new company and you've only just had an idea, and you say, "I want half a million pounds, and I've got nothing proven whatsoever. Uh, please give me my money," and they will show you the back door pretty quickly. <laughs> Whereas this lot will give you a chance, and you have to have a good idea, a good plan. And you have to know what you're talking about in terms of what they want to see. It's it's another world that I have never been exposed to. And the world of investment is is one that you shouldn't take lightly, but a lot of potential. There you go. Hmm. No, it's, it's very interesting. And I, so basically, they're, they're buying into a, a, you would give away or they, they buy a share of your company. Um, and in return, they, they, they will want to sell that company on, I assume, in five, seven years' time. They'll want, they'll want to get new investment to get their investment out or sell it somehow to get their investment. Exactly. There's got to so, be 
they've got that's the only way they can get the money out isn't it i mean that they might get dividends over time but i, I guess they're not interested in that they're interested in how, what they can get out of their their shareholding exactly actually they don't typically look to get a dividend out because they want to see the growth in the company and prefer the money to go back in the company etc right. so you're right, right. So if you imagine, um, you recall in the UK, Dragon's Den, in America, this equipment program is called uh, Shark Tank. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you take that and now t- strip out all the TV-dom off the whole thing, which isn't leaving much, but if you take out the whole TV-dom, you're left with the idea that somebody's got a power c- uh, cash next to them. They don't stroke it like in Dragon's Den. They've got you know power fake cash and they don't stroke it. It's, it's not like that. And they literally... After so many years, they want to know what is the exit strategy. So it may be that, hey, the whole company gets sold on and that the people setting up are looking to sell it on. Mm-hmm. Or like in the case of Astu Graphics, we're not looking to sell on as a whole. But if uh, the shares have been bought by the investors, that would be fantastic shares for, say, a venture capital company or another company to take on those shares. So they take on the percentage of the company. Um so it's not typically for buyouts in our case, but we're an established company. Mm-hmm. But if you're new to the the world, so to speak, a new company, new idea, yeah, you're typically saying, hey, in three to five years, we're looking to sell on to our big competitor uh, because we're just too annoying for them. We want to get out, you know, basically get out from another <laughs> feet. They can buy us up. That, that's to summarize it in about three words, which isn't oh, real. That's good. And you're actually quite frank with that on your blog as well. You were sharing, it's not like this is behind the scenes. You're actually sharing this with... Um, uh, your customers telling them what you want to do and the reason you want to do this is because you you want to be able to develop more plugins or develop more content to help people and support the company and grow the company exactly um, yeah exactly yeah. Uh, uh, like we were that. we were allowed through for, from the original 80 to the final 12 we didn't win so we're not that good obviously um but we we're allowed through to it was, it was not it was actually there was some fantastic people then real sort of new new growth companies and you know really all the best and they're genuinely very good ideas mm. Um, but we were slightly different that we've got a track record and we're, okay, we've done what, 1300% growth in five years, the last five years. And that's the sort of growth that they love to see, which yeah. is great. You know, we show how we can repeat and increase it. Okay. Um, and I've completely forgotten your question because uh, that's the way I roll nowadays. No, I'm it's not... just to find out more about Pitchfest. That's, that's uh, great. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Oh, Pitchfest. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's about 10 to... oh, I've done that one. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> So yeah, it, it is. It's a, a world that, to be honest, takes away the naivety. But the most important thing, from our point of view, was the learning process. We had to do a business plan. Okay, mm-hmm. we've got a business plan. Yeah, of course we got it. It's my wife and myself. We, you know, started the company still fifty-fifty in the company. Um, I learned, for example, don't say it's your wife and yourself doing a company because people shy away from that as an investor. Apparently, that causes problems. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize. I haven't told Susan that after 21 years. But anyway, it causes problems. Um, but uh, you basically, uh, again, I've, I've completely forgotten my strain of thought. I do this all the time. I, you know, I'm 90 years old now. Do you know that? <laughs> You're looking good. I know. Thank you. Um, anyway, no, okay. yeah. so, uh, so what happens? So the basic, the goal of Pitchfest is if you get to the end and you win, then you get given um, the opportunity for the investors to invest in you. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And so there were some great, so we had great contacts there. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry, the whole thing about business plan. So they, they tuition you or train you, that's the word, I think, to sort of how to pitch. So mm-hmm. what's, so my original pitch was the most naive pitch you've ever seen. Um, and I talked about, for example, our products. They don't care about the products in detail. Mm-hmm. Why should they? And it's a very good point. Why should they? They care about the money side. That's their expertise. So you have to... you. So I basically went through four um, business plans and pitches, and each single time you 
cut out the bits that aren't relevant to them. And so in the end, it becomes, we're a great company, we're going to make this much growth, you're going to get loads of money, and then you fill seven minutes of that. <laughs> and you can see exactly why it should be done that way. Yeah. Again, very flippant about it, but it is, it's very important to actually look at it from that point of view. Because Ben, Al, you're great, you know, you're great on the social media, you're great on the web development, etc. And you'd like me, you know, we're great at plugins. We're not necessarily thinking about how to exit from a company in five years' time. We don't mm-hmm. think that way. Mm. But you're forced to think financially. And that's a pretty good uh, grounding, that is. Do you, do you think that would, I mean, that would be such a big change for a company such as yourselves um, to, to have someone kind of looking over your shoulder, so to speak? Yeah. You know, wanting the, the bottom line all the time, wanting the prof, you know, the returns on their investment all the time, having to almost answer to someone else? That must be quite a culture shift. Yeah, but isn't that healthy? That's a good question, but isn't it fantastically healthy when somebody does that? Because we can lie to ourselves all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll make the profit next month. It'll be fine. Mm. You know? No, how are you going to make the profit next month? That, you know, how are you going to, what's your plan? And you've got mm. somebody sort of barking down your neck saying that. Good. You know, that, that makes you suddenly realize, oh, okay, I've got to put this paper. And in the case of this company, we had obviously a business plan. I mean, we did have something, but we never shared it with the team. And there's 14 offers now. One four, not forty. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, I'm panicking. I haven't paid somebody. The <laughs> uh, fourteen offers, and suddenly we said, "Well, you know, typical management. You keep it to yourself, and like occasionally you give a little bit of information to your colleagues. No, we won't stuff it. We're going to ask everybody. What do you think of this plan? Here's the whole plan. Here are all the financial figures. Here are our account returns for the last four years or whatever. Mm. Um, what do you reckon?" And it creates concerns, obviously. Oh, what does that mean for us in the future? Mm-hmm. Yeah, please have those concerns because we'll talk about it. But also, and I love this, uh, in, this in the office I work, there are only seven of us in this office. Uh, everybody else is sort of remote. And in the office, I asked the graphic designer, uh, Alice, uh, sorry, the graphic designer, Gemma, the um, web content creator, Alice, as well as Camilla, who's the marketing manager, who obviously has had more background in financials and things. Um Obviously, Susan, et cetera. You, get, you, ask, you ask the less obvious people for financials in terms of what do they think? And the answer is, oh, well, you know, they give answers and they say, well, I don't know much about this. You know, so don't, don't ask me again, please. I said, no, actually, no, the answer you gave first time is the one that's actually stuck in my head the most mm-hmm. because you're looking at naively. And that is possibly the best way to look at some of these questions. You know, a real naive point of view. You've got the best point of view so far. It's a bit yeah. like a new person to the company is often the person with the best input at the start mm. before you get ingrained. Mm. And yeah, mm. please stay naive for as long as you can. You're going to come up with the best ideas. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, actually, because mm. they often see um, problems or, in fact, improvements that other people just don't see because their head's too far in, into the work they're doing. Or yeah. You get that. You get that. That's how it's always been done around here kind of thing after a while, don't you? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's really, really interesting insight. Well, it's with all these things. I mean, if you think you know everything, uh, you, then you are useless to, to a company, to the world, really. Because, let's face it, the more I have learned about a company, so to speak, and trying to run a company, the more I realize I know nothing. And mm. there are experts. That's why you have colleagues, they are experts in their fields. For goodness sake, listen to them. Um, otherwise, what's the point of even taking anybody on? Yeah. So, well, after, ben, ben and Al, Ben and Al, Al, uh, tell it. A, a lot of people in companies as well, you know, they've started a company because that's what they could do. That, you know, they, they had an idea or they had a skill and they put it to practice. And then basically they, they can do 
they, they might do well and they might evolve into a company and, and might might learn how to do it but ultimately everyone's learning no no one is um just born to do business it's something that you you learn over time and and a lot of people don't they'll, they'll just sort of until they come up with a realization like you or, or gone through a process actually that they're not doing the work anymore they're running a business and what do they want out of that business and you, you, you're looking at a different way um so what 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 was the main what are the main benefits you've got out of Pitchfest then, if you were to summarise it, and and would it be worth other people doing something similar? Uh, okay, the main benefit is to understand absolutely. I already knew this before, right? This this is this is again knowledge. This isn't opinion. This is knowledge. This is a fact. If you have started up your first company, or even your second company, do not whatever you do put on your CV or on your business card your job title entrepreneur if you put that job title entrepreneur on that card you'll hear this that's my head hitting the desk very loudly multiple times because you're not an entrepreneur okay let's say mr richard branson he's an entrepreneur congratulations richard if you listen to this podcast you're an entrepreneur if you don't don't just call yourself an entrepreneur. you don't know it all because you started a company you mm. don't have that privilege nobody really has that privilege for many years to come you have mm -hmm. to repeat the process so that's one of the learnings Make sure you have a process written down. And thankfully, it's something we, we had already started on. But how can you repeat the success you've done? And there's, there's this guy who, I'm not going to mention names because he's much, much wealthier than me and could sue the heck out of me. There's a guy that uh, we went to see a couple of times in a far distant land across the water, uh, that way to the left-hand side. And we went to see him in the skyscraper that he sat residence in. And... He wanted to invest in this company. Um, and really, actually, I do like the guy. Genuinely like the guy. And he persisted with us, even though I sort of shunned him every so often, which sounds really arrogant. And he said, oh, can we, we, can, we can make it happen. We can make your company happen. I said, look, you're a millionaire. You've obviously succeeded very well. You've got a big company. There's 100 and uh, people around you. Congratulations. What's your process? And I got two hours of talk, and there was no process. So I repeated the question several times until I got tinnitus. And... I said, lovely, but what is your process? How, you, you've succeeded once. You've done another couple of companies. I don't know how successful they are. What is your process? Mm -hmm. I never got an answer. I'm not going to go, go into business with that guy. Yeah, he's he, not going to give you. Yeah. What, what's your book? What is the golden rules that you have done things by? Have you been lucky? If you've been lucky once, can you be lucky again? I don't know. Anybody can do that. Sometimes that initial luck can give you the money and contacts to make your next enterprise not so lucky. Yes. Because you have, you already know the people you know, especially if it's within a similar product category or similar market. It, it wasn't. So, well, not, not really. That, that's why. Yeah, if they were like Adobe, you'd go, well, you've got every single customer we probably want to contact. Okay, mm. whatever. But uh, this was a bit unrelated. It, no, it was more in terms of the investment and he wanted to be part of the business. And yeah, everybody's got a good opinion, but what is a process and it's the same with yourself obviously ben you've obviously got process sheets on how your whole organization your empire works well not all of them but yeah i'm constantly developing them i know that al al <laughs> probably gets very annoyed at me going well you know can we not do it this way or actually you've done it slightly differently to the way we've got it here we're being recorded so um whatever you say ben whatever you say. <laughs> no i do try it's something i work work towards you know and i think the problem i have with processes sorry this is diving off it a little bit um, is that I constantly want to change them. So even as I'm writing them down, 
I'm changing them. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. That's good. Uh, don't get out of it that way. You can't get out of it that way. You're writing it down. It's making you think about it. And you know, that's making you change the best, it. The best way of writing processes is to, is to get someone else to do the work and tell them how to do it and write that down. Yes, yes, that, yes. That's the, the only way I've found that I can actually get to a process. And now you may find this too, is that if you have to tell someone else to do it, you have to write it down at the very least so you can make sure you fully understand it. Um, yeah. And I, I find that's the best way that I, I found of developing these processes is actually to hire other people to do the job. And then that forces you to do it. Uh, utterly, utterly. Um, but, but you can't put all your work over to our like that. That's not fair. Al, kind of <laughs> I, <try>. right. <laughs> I don't have time to even read any of the processes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's in the other processes. They must be read. Yeah, no, seriously. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but there are other ways of doing it. process. It doesn't have to be just written down. I mean, I, I like simple bullet point processes. If you want to, um, I did have some, if you want to raise an invoice, um, then these are the, this is the process for doing it. Um, but actually, sometimes a video could work quite well if you actually show people a video. I know things might date, the software you're using might change, but it, at least it's something you can watch in a minute, get the gist of, and then do it yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't have to have, like, uh, on an old ledger, you don't have to have a leather-bound book and the Hizzy Process book. You don't have to do that. Utterly. It can be anyway. Uh, fully agree with that. As long as it can be stored somewhere and shared, that's your process. I, I, it's too graphic because I actually... Yeah, we, we we deal with computers all the time. So when we wrote the the master process book on the, started writing this for the company myself, in terms of all the things I've learned over ten years to be able to repeat uh, what we've done, and what I did, I first thing I did was bin a computer. First thing I went down, I discovered something called a coffee shop. Never discovered this before. Hey, I've I've come into Spotify coffee shops. I am the modern man now. <laughs> and I went to a coffee shop, got uh, several coffees. I've now got nearly ten vouchers, so I can get a nearly free one. And <laughs> Basically, I got a book, a, a spiral-bound book, and four different color pens. That's all I had. Not even any Tipex. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And obviously, somebody says, hey, yeah, but hang on. Have you got a copy of that? I will do, yeah. But <laughs> that's not the point. It's just, the thing is that it makes you think about it. It makes you go out your environment, write it all down. And that is, uh, you know, the Bible for the company, the mm. way that can be repeated. Oh, okay, high horse. I've got several of them. I've got a whole stable of high horses. Just ask. He does. He has lots of them. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's a good... You know, you know I, I quite like that because... And I, I do it sometimes. Um, I'll, I'll just go somewhere else and, and just write and not have a computer. Um, because you, if you have your processes in front of you, you often... You won't add to it or you won't... Re, you, you, you might add a few things or you might change or you might go, oh, that looks fine. But actually, if you're forced to write things down again then um or rethink them it, it forces you to really come up uh write down the things that are important that stick um and really and, and think about these processes to make sure they work so i think that's probably quite a good idea even if you have an established process actually to th think about it um uh, and review them and say are we actually doing the things that we've got in our process because a lot of companies have a process but don't follow them <laughs> that's worse yeah well, they're just gathering dust, which you may as well not have the process in the first place then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's very true. It, it sounds really dull, really but I know we're in a creative environment and it, it just kills me as well. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't think I like doing these admin things or probably anybody likes doing that, these admin things. We'd all love to draw with our tools and all that. But it's, it's got to be done because let's face it, if the company doesn't exist the next year, it doesn't matter how many drawing tools you have, how many Wacoms you have, how many iPads you have, whatever, you haven't got a company. So mm. you're going to be asking for a proper job again. So you may as well get this sorted and 
love it or lump it, you've got to do it. You've got to get your business sorted. So there you go. I'll let you into a little secret, Nick. I, oh. I, I actually quite like writing processes and getting things in order. Oh, damn. Yeah. No, no news to yeah. Al there. But... <laughs> no, I've enjoyed it for many years. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those odd people that actually do like it as well as being creative. We should move on because we're, we've talked for about 50 minutes now and I just want to get a few, I want to get a few um, Q and A's in, but I, I think it's, you know, it's been good so far. Um, there, there are a couple I wanted to talk about. Um, obviously Brexit, uh, Britain leaving, having that referendum, uh, it all happened. Was it last Friday? The vote went that we'd leave. And I think basically there's a lot of, there's been a lot of conversation both from um, people who, uh, who wanted to leave and people who, who wanted to stay. Um, what what we thought we'd just briefly look at is because uh, I know you wrote a blog post on this you, um, about what Brexit means for your customers, um, and you said actually at the moment there they may well see a benefit because the pound has um, devalued a little bit. But oddly, we were decoupled from the the European Union in terms of the EU, um, sorry the euro anyway. So it's just interesting that the the pound's been affected by this referendum, even though it wasn't connected any directly anyway. Um, so just wanted to look at and see if there are anything down the road that we should be looking out for, um, such as... Um, a government. Uh, the government, who I think generally look out for them. Uh, just, okay, so I've got a, one a, comment. A plan and a process. <laughs> yeah. Oh. process yeah. There'll be lots of planning and process, I'm sure, coming from government. Um, so just a few things we noted down is about buying products from overseas. I had a tweet in a reply to our podcast going out uh, from Sarah at Pencil. Um, on Twitter, she is at Pencil Me and Shop. Um, she, she, she used to be lived down in Hereford, but now moved back up to Scotland. Um, and they've got a shop and online. So they, they're buying products from overseas. And so in the interim, certainly now when the pound's low, they, they're seeing it, it's, it's costing a bit more. Um, as I mentioned from you, Nick, uh, actually customers might see a decrease in your prices, uh, as far as they're concerned from the conversion rate. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know what I'm doing? I'm just typing into Google at the moment. USD. This sounds just flippant again. I'll use the word flippant too many times. Probably. But I'm just typing into Google. USD to GBP conversion, right? You can hear me typing away. I am literally typing this in. Because we're at a point at the moment where we don't have a clue what the conversion rate is because it's changing fairly frequently. Mm -hmm. um, and at the moment it is... 1 to 0.74. So what I've done, should have done is uh, pound to USD. There you go. 1.34. So basically what's happened is that the pound has dropped by not 10%, about 7%, I think, mm. since uh, Friday. And it's stuck there for a few days. And amazingly, it hasn't dropped any further. Right. It sounds beautifully tedious, that, the 1 to 1.34 uh, ratio. Basically, it's going to be more expensive for Britain to buy things in, but it's going to be cheaper for everybody outside Britain to buy things from Britain. Mm-hmm. Okay, in a nutshell, that is. So good for exporters. Good for exporters. And we are 90% exporting. You are, so yeah. uh, we're, you could say we're laughing our head off until you realize we have uh, two employees in America. Right, yeah. Mm. Right, okay. So mm. suddenly, you know, what happens to their pay? Now, uh, I'm not going to go into personal things, but if, say, you have somebody overseas and you're paying them local currency, you're going to have to pay them more. Yeah. If you're paying them in pound sterling then they're going to get less suddenly they get a pay decrease of nearly 10 percent is that fair to them mm. they, they didn't vote in out um it's when it, europe it's a bit different in that europe has been sliding for a long time so really it's sort of realigning a bit more we haven't even got there yet so okay that, that's all your financial things for me there but 
what does it mean for people who are selling things in the UK that have been made in China and Vietnam and whatever? You're stuffed for a little while, I'm afraid. Mm. This is, unfortunately, this is the way it is. Will it encourage people to make things in Britain? Yeah, there's the ideal. Maybe. I Maybe. saw it. It's probably not even... enough, really, is it? Not enough of a difference. You set up a factory in one week to make suddenly underpants yeah. to counteract the high cost of Chinese underpants. Hmm. You yeah. can't do it. No, we've, you... we've been slowly moving away from that. Um, over there many, goes my many business years. plan anyway. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, no underpants for you, Al. Damn. I would have bought them too. I'd have been your first customer. Could so you basically... call you a shop commando? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, really uh, cheap delivery prices as well. <laughs> Just be back with air. I have to mm, admit, yes. uh, I, I wrote a blog post and I, tried, and I was very clear, hey, this is not an opinion of myself or the company. But if it's an opinion of myself, I didn't know which way to go until like a week beforehand. And I had to really sit down and think about it. And I started watching all the programs more and more. And, and I, I realized so thoroughly at that point, there is no plan. So I didn't know what I was voting for, which is slightly dangerous. Yeah. And so I voted to stay in. That was my personal one at the end. But it wasn't some great... You know, martyrdom sort of thing. You know, we've got to stay in because we were in Europe and, you know, we owe it to our brothers, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't anything like that. It was literally like, well, what are we voting for? And now this is I'm afraid has come to pass. It's sort of, nobody has a clue what they've really voted for. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. arguments on the people who've voted out. Well, I voted for this. Well, you didn't really because nobody's ever written down a bit of paper what you actually voted for. Mm. Apart from going out of Europe. That's just such a sweeping statement. If you'd been forced yeah. to vote for the 300 different laws you've got to now change, and in, you know, in detail with each single one, people would have voted probably differently or just stayed in bed. Yeah, exactly. Be more apathetic about it. And I, I think, think that's... It was, the, yeah, sorry, sorry, Ben, go on. No, I was just going to say, that's, I, I drew the same conclusion, really, as you, Nick, that, uh, that actually there were so many unknowns that um, you, you can't make a sweeping statement like in or out. I mean, it might be that actually um, over, over a period of many years that you need changes to be made, but yeah, in or out is, is a very tricky one. Um, sorry, Al, go ahead. No, no, it's just, I, you know, I think you're right, Nick. The, the, the vote kind of meant different things to different people, mm. which is a, a, ma- a major worry because people are saying, well, I you know, voted for this. But as you say, that was just possibly like a suggestion, you know, and people are saying, well, that was just a suggestion of what we might do, not a, you know, a policy of what's going to happen. And I think, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of sort of angry, <laughs> angry people on both sides, I think. Yeah. It was yeah. a very strange vote, which just, yeah, people use it as a protest vote and all sorts. So, yeah. But as you can see, it's already had a, within you know hours it had a huge effect on you know stability and everything that we're kind of used to so um mm. yeah. yeah thankfully what, britain has been strong beforehand thankfully because we had very low unemployment you know enviably low unemployment um so we've been in a good position so we'll, we'll pull through that you know let's not go around with uh, flames on our heads you know running around screaming of course, but yeah. it, it is a case of uh, perhaps in a year time when we figure out the details we can do that but what does it mean to you ben actually uh, in your, for your organization well, I've been thinking about that. Um, I think for us, there could be a lot of issues around um, how we, the policies and, and you know, make, make, let's forget about the money sense of things. I'm, I'm not really sure how that will impact us directly um, yet. It may impact our customers, which may well then positively or negatively impact whether they uh, carry on with us, increase what we do or, or so on. Um, but there are lots of things on websites, uh, particularly, um, we've been um, having to do a lot more of, um, some because of the EU insistence and some just general regulation. Um, one of them was the, the the cookie policy that was mm. uh, sort of um, 
uh, put put over European wide, um, which I think is is an ab- absolutely ridiculous. Um, <laughs> complete. Uh, uh, um, if anyone's not aware, I mean, you probably have seen it. Uh, even Google has to have the cookie policy yes. and say, well, we use cookies to do X, Y, and Z. And you know, if you don't want to continue um, having cookies put on your computer, then you should stop using the site. Or in some cases, you can actually turn them off and continue to browse the site. But that's very rare. Um, so when that came in, what was that a couple of years back? It was 2011. Um, well, really? It was that long ago. Okay. Oh. So when that came in, there was a lot of confusion as, as to what that actually meant, what you had to do, because there was a lot of backtracking and they, they did delay it um, initially as well by a year. Um, but will that be removed? Now we, you know, has that, is that been applied from Europe? And so now uh, when we come out of Europe in two years time, will we not have to be obliged to fulfill that law and have that as part of our law? I really yeah, hope I, so. Well, yeah. And hopefully being British then, if that's if everybody's concerned about being British, we can have like a British face, so we can have like the chips and gravy, uh, not instead of cookies, because chips and gravy has been put on your computer. <laughs> yes. <And> biscuit. <laughs> yes. So that just, the biscuit law. Yeah. Or is it a cake? It but just depends. The, the, the time for tea. The time for tea policy. And the cookie law though is one that's been diluted quite a lot over time. Because I think everyone really knew it was a pretty stupid idea, well, stupid implementation mm-hmm. of ever, yeah, and a, a good idea, but a, just a, a bad implementation when it, it should really have been implemented on the browser side yeah. rather than on individual websites for people to interpret differently. Um, it should just be a browser thing. Um, but it has kind of, um, you know, diluted and over time, uh, the ICO, the, the commissioner's office, um, I just you just get a feel of much more leniency like initially you know your companies were prosecuted without this message and then over a few years it's okay just to put a message saying that there's implicit consent uh, that cookies are going to be used you don't have to press a button anymore and now it's just okay to have a little message saying do you know what this size this site uses cookies but you still do see a lot of sites still with the original big message saying you must approve use of cookies and the thing that really really gets me um, from a usability perspective is that often these messages start by saying, to give you the best possible experience. <laughs> and they t- and I saw one today, give you the best, and you're on a phone, and, and, it, and as you go to the site, it takes up 90% of your screen, yeah. saying to give you the best possible experience yeah. of our website, yeah. we've put this enormous message on, saying stuff that you see, you probably don't really understand, and you don't need to understand it, because it happens behind the scenes, and you need to cl- now make a decision to say yes or no. You're probably just going to say yes because you want to read the information on the page. So the whole thing is is just you know backwards, really. But let's say who's been uh, prosecuted for the cookie policy not being implied um, implemented properly? Well, that's an interesting question. I was going to look that up earlier and I forgot. Um, I don't think anybody. I think a couple of people had their kind of knuckles wrapped, like big companies initially. I don't think there's been any. I have, I have noticed that Google have been putting more imp- impetus on that. And actually, once I went to Google and it stopped me from doing anything and forced me to read this statement. Yes. Yes, which I think yeah. has something to do with cookie policy. In one of the one of the other things that I'm not sure about, and actually is, is more, um, you know, with the use of online services, is where data is stored. Now, um, I was looking into this because um, we were doing some work with the council, and uh, they they were sort of wanted to know where where data was stored. Um, so you know, we, we we did an audit of everything, and we're using some Google Docs for some of that. And um, now a lot of the they do have data centers throughout the UK, uh, throughout the world, but um, including in, in Ireland and, and UK. 
But they had a policy that really, when you hold personal data about people, you should hold it uh, within the EU currently. So if, if, so we are allowed to hold data in our country or within the EU if it's on a server, uh, you know, anywhere in the EU. But um, if, we, if we're out of the, the EU, um, hopefully those rules will be tweaked to a, maybe extend it out there so that we are allowed to use the, the, the services or Google will have to make some changes to their data retention policy. Or, or how they encrypt things so that to allow us to yeah. do to store personal data outside of the the UK. But let, let's let's go to the reality. of This now we have to look at the government officials and nothing. I've, I'm going to think of government officials. You know, like the HMRC. I actually don't think about bad set of people. But you, lovely people, lovely people, especially <laughs> as they owe us some money. So please can we have it back please soon? Um, so you go to um, that lot and they they. Do you honestly think there's enough people in the, in the I don't know, data protection organisation within the government? I don't even know what it would be called officially. That, I think it's the ICO. I think that's who manages the, the, okay. the ICO. Uh, side of things. They trawl through every single website under, say, you know, 50 million users a day mm. to see where their data centre is. I think it's it's not them that they, I don't think they would do anything. I think they, they, they're not actively looking for it. It would be more if there was a data breach. Yes. Uh, like a lot of these bigger companies are happening. If there's a data breach, yeah. then, you know, if you've got UK customers and you're holding your, their data in somewhere else and you haven't informed them of that, then yeah. that's where they could step in and, and do something about mm. it. Oh, Certainly, ab yeah. above all of that, even about against the legal sort of obligation and, and, and issues there, it's just the, you know, the public trust, isn't it? Like you do hear about, you know, big sites. Is it Talk Talk that had their database hacked? Mm, yeah. Above and beyond any fines you might get from the ICO, is the massive damage to your, to your client base by yeah. by just you know letting your database be you know uh, made public, so to speak. So um, yeah, the, the uh, trouble is, you know, anybody, even if it's hacked in the UK, uh, and you've got your database in the UK and it's hacked into, and all your clients or details are spread over the internet, I don't think the clients will actually care that the database was in the UK or overseas. True, the end result true. is they're details are all over the internet yeah legally mm. you might be fine but your customers aren't going to be happy no, no so that, that's where it should come from yeah and that that's you're right actually that's important as well um how much data you hold as well because it's uh it's, it's nice having lots of data about people but actually if you're not using that data actively um, and there's no need for you to collect it you're safer off never collecting it in the first place mm. because then you know you're less at, at risk of holding it um i think so you know if you like you see a lot of um data collection forms online or contact forms um, and they may store that on the on the website or send it through an email. Uh, and they ask for lots of information. So they need your you know name, company name, address, position, phone number, and shoe all that size. sort of stuff. Shoe yeah. size. Mm. But they ask for lots of information. Actually, all they need is your name and phone number or email. And then they yeah. can get in touch with you. And actually, all you're providing all that other information isn't great. And especially if you're if you're working from business to consumer, I think you've got even more issues. If you're especially if you're working with a lot of consumers and you're taking their personal home information. Yeah. I mean, how many times would you, on a form, put in a bogus home phone number? I do it all the time. And that, that yeah. it's a waste of my time. It's a waste of the person who's got in the data's time yeah. because I don't think 01234567890 is a phone number. It might be. <laughs> I think, guys, we're going to have to wrap it up. We are probably just over an hour now. So our target of uh, 40 strokes, 50 minutes is blown. So sorry about that. Um, we should sign off. We've actually, we were going to dive into how personal you should get on LinkedIn. We were last um, time. We're going to look at... Um, uh, what to do when your WordPress site's been hacked, but we'll push those to next time. We will cover them. I think they're good topics. It's big things, yeah. Um, so thank you, Nick, for coming on. Um, it's great. Thank you for the time. Uh, I know you're a busy guy. 
Um, where can we find you online? Where can you find me online? Yeah, on oh, Twitter. Uh, where, where do you oh, hang out? Oh, What's our website again? Yeah, it's, it's astutegraphics.com is our website. Mm-hmm. And astutegraphics is our handle for everything. So all one, no spaces, no silly spelling for graphics. We're a British company. Um, so yes, that, that's where we are. So LinkedIn, you can find myself on LinkedIn. Uh, if you search on Nick Vanderwall, there aren't too many Nick Vanderwalls in the UK. Probably won't be very many at all next year or two years' mm-hmm. time either. Um, so, yeah, you, you'll find us. And you've got lots of um, good – I mean, if anyone out listening is into graphics, uh, there's loads of great tutorials on Illustrator um, basically showing an image and then showing you how to create it. I think there's some lots of great resources on there. Thank you very much. Um, so I'm at Ben Kinnaird on Twitter. Um, Al, you are? I'm at Inventive Al. And, um, yeah, do, do visit our – website ratherinventive.com and uh, in fact we've got another we've got another marketing fundamentals workshop happening in september uh, it's limited numbers we only take about 10 at a time but it's completely free people have a lot of fun um if you go to ratherinventive.com and click on events you can just sign up for that and um just mention again the sponsor be sociable book just search for um, be sociable ben on google or visit our website uh, ratherinventive.com and look for the social book in the menu Thank you very much, guys. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week, what left there is left of it, and have a lovely weekend. Au revoir. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye now.